Welcome to the Growing Your Financial Business, The Woman's Way podcast. I'm Robin Crane, and I was a financial advisor for over a decade. But before that, I was a singer-songwriter. And now, even as a mom of three with a teenager, toddler, and a baby, I run a seven-figure business helping women in financial services grow their businesses and make a bigger impact. In this podcast, I'll bring you financial advisors, industry influencers, and highly successful entrepreneurs to give you innovative strategies designed for women. So get ready to learn how to get in front of the right people, get more ideal clients, and be able to grow your ideal business so you can live your ideal life. Welcome to Growing Your Financial Business the Woman's Way. I'm Robin Crane here with Linda P. Jones, who is an author, a podcaster, and she actually has 6 million downloads on her podcast, Be Wealthy and Smart. Also, she is uh, her book, You're, You're Already a Wealth Heiress. Um, was was voted all-time best wealth books. One of the all-time best wealth books. Did I say that right? Added to that list by Book Authority, yes. <laughs> Added to that list by Book Authority. Like, that sounds really, really amazing. Okay, and I also happen to know about you that you had made $2 million or saved $2 million by age 38. Okay, start telling us how you did that, but we're going to talk today about wealth-building opportunities that you as female financial advisors and insurance professionals definitely need to know about it. But first, tell us a little about your background and how you're so amazing and had $2 million at such a young age. Well, I was very interested in finance all my life. And um, I started learning about investing at at a young age. My dad got me involved. My parents both were involved in investing. Actually, my mother was very active in investing. And uh, I decided that I wanted to have a lot of money, not because I you know, I was greedy or anything, but just because I thought it would give me a full life and a lot of opportunities and I wouldn't be limited. And so I decided to pursue that. I went into the investment field after graduating from college and business and worked for a stock brokerage firm and learned all the traditional ways of building wealth and learned about mutual funds at that time and, uh, you know, manage money and all these different things. But what I realized is that there were steps that formed for wealth to be created. Um, And I call them the six steps to wealth. And once I realized how it worked, I just implemented those. And that's when I made my first million at 38, my second million at 39. So I had 2 million by 39 and it was, you know, I was on my way. So um, I've been implementing that that money through investing, not through Through earning through investing, imagining, and, and I want to get to the six steps, but there's so much I want to talk to you about with the wealth building opportunities. Um, But Did you, like, what did you start with? Because, you know, we can't make something out of nothing. I would imagine that you had to earn quite a bit to get to a million at 38. So give us a little bit of that because I'm just so curious. (laughs) Yeah. I started a few years before with a little uh, around a hundred thousand. A few years before you had a hundred grand and you turned a hundred grand into a million dollars by 38, but that's not earning. You're talking about completely just in my IRA, in my IRA. Yes. Yes. Oh boy. I'm going to have to like offline now really like find this. Okay. But let's, let's tell, so tell me, um, can you give us the six steps to building wealth first and then we can go into the opportunities? Will that be too much? No, not at all. Okay. Let's do that. The first step is to create a wealthy mindset. So a lot of that is because we have blocks and belief systems that don't really serve us. So working on your mindset around money. The second step is to save a nest egg. So you need some money that you're going to initially get investing. The third step is to find a mentor that can give you knowledge so that you know what to invest in and how to invest and you can uh, really leap in terms of your learning curve. 
The fourth step is to invest in a money engine. A money engine is anything that can grow money. It can be real estate, it can be stocks, it can be anything, crypto, anything that goes up in value, that's an investment. And the fifth step is to compound at a high rate. So whatever your compounding rate is, is how fast you're growing wealth. So a lot of people talk about building wealth slow, and that's fine. I think that kept a lot of people from falling for, you know, fake opportunities or lottery type things or scams. But when it comes to investing, there are certain investments that grow faster, like technology, than other investments. And once you identify that compounding is super important, then you can really multiply your money faster. And then the sixth step is to protect your wealth. Okay, awesome. So let me just ask a few questions about that. Cause one, I would say, you know, for the listeners, for sure, um, a lot of that is, is in line with what they need for their clients as well, right? They're gonna, their, their client, especially if they're working with women and a lot of the women I work with are working with women, you know, they need to make sure that this woman has a, has a wealthy mindset. And obviously they have to have something, which is why I asked you to start with a nest egg. And the mentor is really the advisor that doesn't have to be an advisor all the time, but a financial advisor or someone's going to teach them how to do it. Um, so what I think is, and, and I think everyone knows, oh yes, compound interest, but I think the emphasis, and I actually just saw a kind of a presentation about real estate and kind of, and lending and stuff. And this guy was showing how, you know, and we all have seen these things, you got 8%, you'll have this much and you have 10%, you have this much, but it was ridiculous. He's like, if you're saving $5,000 a month and we were in a, a you know business group where it wouldn't be a big deal to save $5,000 a month at all. And he's like, if you had, I forget what it was, but like a hundred grand or something, you save $5,000 a month. And he's showed the difference between getting 20% versus 10%. I mean, you had like 49 million. And again, I don't remember the time frame or whatever. I just remember seeing 49 million going, oh my gosh, show me how to do that. Like, that's ridiculous. So compounding is, is ridiculous, um, crazy. And then, um, yeah, the money engine, sorry, I skipped that one, money engine. So tell me a little bit more about the money engine, because I think the rest of it is kind of like, yeah, um, and I don't mean we know that like we're so smart, but I love that you're making it simple for us to understand, but go back to a little bit to the money engine and then we'll, we'll get into those wealth building opportunities. Yeah. I think a lot of people, uh, when they start looking at what is the money engine they want to invest in, they are very busy with their careers. And so I always recommend that the basic place to start is with the stock market because you don't have to, you know, make a huge purchase. You can make small purchases. You can start in different areas. You can, um, you don't have to clean toilets or fix roofs or anything like that. So it's very easy for the average person to handle their career and invest in stocks. And then we're given that easy way to do that through a 401k, right? So the thing is, is that we know that the average return on the stock market over the long term is roughly, let's say 10%. The last five years has been 15%. So it's done better. But, um, over the longer term, it's about a 10% average return. Well, that's, you know, on the S&P 500, let's say. So what if you were able to sprinkle in some faster growing sectors? So let's say you had like what we would call a core satellite approach. So you have your core investments, which when we talk about asset allocation in the business, we're always talking about small cap, mid cap, large cap, international emerging markets, real estate investment trusts, things like that. So your typical core asset allocation. But then what about if you had just some sectors that were growing faster? What if you had some technology that 
you know, for example, what if you invested in the fangs, you know, that just little addition or tilt to your portfolio would have given you tremendous additional compounding without taking a whole lot of extra risk. So when we talk about higher compounding rates, some people say, oh, I don't want to go into these risky things. Well, you don't really have to. You can have a core approach that's your traditional asset allocation and then just have some ETFs that are your sectors that are maybe faster growing that you can pepper in there a little bit. So how did you, and I know you're teaching us kind of probably the smart and a little bit slow and steady, but faster than this, the typical slow and steady, but how did you go from a hundred grand and then a few years later get, get to 2 million? Like how, you clearly didn't just invest in the stock market and, and a few. Right. You know, right. Tech so I looked at what, what was fast growing, what was compounding fast. And at that time we had technology that was just coming into being, we had, you know, the, the introduction of personal computers. We had the introduction of software with Microsoft. We had the internet eventually come into being. And we had that, of course, um, hit a huge bubble. But I was able to identify certain things that seemed different and unique to me. And so I was able to be an early investor in Amazon and in Google. And at that time, America Online was had superior technology. It ended up getting bought by um, Time Warner and basically put on the shelf and did nothing. But Amazon, of course, went on to become a trillion dollar valuation of a company and Google also. And so identifying new technologies and then finding the dominant winners early is a really important strategy. And we're going through that again right now. We're going through another technology boom, but we're nowhere near a bubble. And everyone thinks that we're in a bubble. We're nowhere near a bubble yet. This is a boom in currencies this time, digital currencies, cryptocurrencies. The currency market is enormously larger than the stock market. So the valuations that we're going to see are literally in the trillions. And that's why Bitcoin, which I'm not a fan of, um, is already at a trillion dollar valuation. But the entire crypto market is only at $2 trillion right now. And I say only, I mean, that's enormously large. It's you know very large compared to some other investment categories, but it's nothing compared to what the traditional currency markets trade trillions every single day. And they're much larger than the stock market. And this is what people have to realize. So are you saying cryptocurrencies is kind of like the Amazon back in the day? Like now it's like it's starting and, and people are starting to pay attention. It's definitely being talked about, but I think people are like, oh, I'll take my tax return. And I'll put a little bit in there. They're not, you know, they're not really taking it seriously. I've actually been, I don't usually tell people this, but I've been buying crypto since I think it was 2000 and I want to say 16, something like that, because I went through the 2017 crash and like, I was like, oh, geez, maybe this is the wrong thing, but it, I didn't sell or anything came through. So uh, I remember I bought Bitcoin $2,400 the first time. So that's a uh, come a long way for those of you who don't know Bitcoin, it's a 60 something, you know, depending on when we look at it, but so tell, tell them like, you don't like Bitcoin. So I'm curious about that. What don't you like about Bitcoin and what do you like and how, if I can add in another question, if I don't overwhelm you here, how do advisors use this for themselves? And they might not be able to do it yet for their clients, but how can they utilize this opportunity for themselves without kind of getting in trouble or, or I don't know, without getting the kibosh from the broker dealers? Yeah. All right. Well, let's go back to what Bitcoin is. Bitcoin is a the first cryptocurrency that was created in a limited number where people could actually use it as a store of value. 
And then as more people accumulated it, less and less of it existed. Some of it was burned up. And so it continues to uh, become more rare and it continues to go up in value. So as you said, it's now $60,000 per Bitcoin. So which has been, as far as I can tell, the best performing asset ever in history to, to date. Um, the reason I don't like it is I think it's an outdated technology already. Uh, yeah. It takes a lot of energy. It takes more energy than the country of Argentina in a year. It's very slow in terms of transferring funds in or out of Bitcoin. It can take a half an hour, an hour. Um, and it just has you know, a, a lot of things that allow it to be a store of value, but not something that could be a digital currency that could be used. So what I believe is that the countries around the world are all going to take their currencies and put them in a digital format. And then that digital format is going to be allowed to move from one currency to another using a particular cryptocurrency that's a bridge currency, a bridge asset. So you go into that crypto and then into your other um, foreign exchange market. And so this is going to be in under three seconds it happens versus today it can take three to five days to transfer money. This happens in less than a fraction of a penny cost wise, whereas now fees are two and three percent to transfer funds around the world. And banks have to keep about twenty four trillion dollars on hand just static in order to do foreign currency exchange. And they're going to free up all that money that they aren't going to have to have just sitting there in case somebody wants to exchange, you know, a rare currency from, you know, Africa to something, you know, in, you know, over near Russia or something. I mean, something exotic like that would have to go through probably several different currencies to get to the final destination. So this is much more efficient. We have that happening. And I think that what advisors need to understand is that their firms are starting to invest in it. So, the Morgan Stanleys, the Goldman Sachs, the, you know, they're all getting their yeah, private Mass wealth Mutual clients. just put hundred million. Mass Mutual. Yeah. They're getting their private wealth clients into it. They're getting their uh, hedge funds into it. They're getting uh, institutions into it. So they're just starting to dip their toe in it. But the market's not really big enough yet to handle the institutional money. So it has to wait for it to get a little bit bigger. But once the institutions start getting in there, this is going to be a massive, massive um, allocation. Even one to two percent of institutions in investing in crypto is going to be a massive allocation. So right now they're doing it through uh, like a Bitcoin ETF and things like that, which, again, I'm not, I'm not a fan of that. And I think they're going to have some difficulty finding that working very well just the mechanics of it. But we will work through these glitches and these problems. And I think eventually we're going to have an internet of value, which means that everything is going to be tokenized. We're going to be able to create tokens or crypto out of every stock. In fact, it already exists. If people aren't aware of that, it already exists that some stocks are already tokenized and traded on digital currency exchanges, such as Uphold. Um, you can also tokenize real estate so that people can invest in real estate on an easier basis. You can tokenize anything of value. And what we saw with the NFTs, which are non-fungible tokens, which has to be the worst name in the world. I don't know who came up with that. But non-fungible tokens are simply original works of art or original works of music or original digital files that cannot be duplicated 
And so they're worth something because they're rare. So someone could actually be a music performer instead of going to hire an agent and going to a music producer. They could actually sell their album as an NFT to some distributor who bids for it at auction. And that person could distribute it, distribute it all over the Internet or however they choose to distribute it because they own the rights. So it's going to completely change how music is distributed, artwork, um, fun things, gaming, all kinds of things. But tokenization is coming and it's bigger than the Internet was. So this that we're moving into is new technology that's going to create trillions of dollars of new wealth, new categories like electric vehicles, robotics, genomics. There's so many forms of new technologies that are coming in that the wealth is going to be exponential that's created. It's very exciting. Wow. That's so cool. So what, I have a few questions again. I can't, geez, this is just so good. Um, first of all, what cryptos do you like? If you don't like Bitcoin, what do you like? And I would agree. I mean, I, I recently moved some Bitcoin off of Uphold actually, and it's still, it, it took only like 10 minutes and I wasn't huge, uh, moving a huge amount, but I was still maybe 10, 15 minutes. And I was looking and I was up, you know, I, I kept refreshing because it's scary. And even though I start with a little bit and make sure and all that stuff that you're supposed to do, it's scary. And then, you know, Ethereum, I moved over and like that, it was two seconds. Sorry. <laughs> I'm supposed to be on silent, but in two seconds, I was able to move it over. So what, yeah. What cryptos do you like? Yeah, Ethereum can be slow too, and it has very high fees. So the fees are an issue with Ethereum. If you're moving your money around, you, every time you move it, you're losing a little piece of it with Ethereum and you end up mm -hmm. losing a lot if you, you know, with those fees. So mm -hmm. I don't really like Bitcoin or Ethereum. I think that there are superior technologies. Uh, one of my favorites is what I call the XRP family. So there's XRP, there's XDC, there's XLM. There's um, Algo Rand. Uh, all of those run on the XRP platform, and all of those are a form of. They're all related to a crypto called XRP, which was invented by Ripple. Which, interestingly enough, um, Warren Buffett is an investor in a company in Japan called SBI Group that is one of the shareholders of Ripple that created XRP, but yet he and Charlie Munger are poo-pooing, you know, cryptocurrency and calling it, you know, terrible, <laughs> but they're an investor in it. And not only are they an investor in it, but the company they invested in is going to pay the dividend in XRP crypto. So there you go. <laughs> wow. So you like XRP and there's big talk about Doge right now. What's up with Doge? Okay, well, Doge, we actually have in our family um, through what's called Sparks. So let me back up. Last December, when we invested in, in XRP, we I actually invested in October. Um, in December, there was a company named Sparks, or near Flare, rather, that um, was creating something called Sparks. They were building on the XRP platform and on the XRP ledger, and they basically are creating smart contracts. So that means that, let's say in real estate, every time you buy a house in real estate, you have to go through an appraisal, you have escrow, you have title search, you have all these things, right? You have legal documents. Well, all of that can be standardized and can be automated in a smart contract and put on a blockchain, which is an original record of that transaction happening. So in the future, all real estate is gonna operate that way and you're gonna have it more instantaneous. You're gonna eliminate a lot of layers and it's gonna be using technology called a smart contract. So the uh, Flare company created Sparks, which are going to 
create smart contracts that work with the with the XRP ledger, but also they are going to create an opportunity for you to become your own bank. And that means you're going to be able to make loans to people. You can uh, loan, basically put the XRP as collateral and then people take loans against that and you earn the interest as if you were a bank. So there's lots of different ways you're gonna earn passive income streams using crypto. And Flare is one of the companies that is coming up with this. Now, they are choosing the assets that they want to work with. So they chose XRP and XLM as assets that they want to work with. They've also chosen Doge. They've also chosen Litecoin. And I think there's one other one that I'm not thinking of. But anyway, so we actually were an investor in Doge. And so we benefited, it was up 427% in a week, the last week. And um, it has legitimacy because the, the, the smart contract is going to be used with Doge. Not only that, but we also have a possibility of Elon Musk or Mark Cuban using it as currency in their businesses. Well, Mark Cuban actually already is using it. He's accepting it at the Mavs games, the Mavericks games for um, beverages, tickets, and uh, clothing. Hmm. Uh, so yeah, and every day, and another retail store just announced they're going to accept Doge as currency as well. So we're going to see it gain acceptance, I think, as a currency. And although it started out as a joke, it really is gaining legitimacy. Awesome. And I think, you know, this is very new for people and it might be over your heads if you're listening, but this is good to start familiarizing yourself with like understanding this language and hearing it and, and be an, I wouldn't even say early adopter because we've already passed the early adopter phase, right? Because we're in the institutional phase, but this is something that you as an advisor, you got to know people are going to be asking you, they're going to, they're going to want to know what you think about it. And, and you got to start educating yourself because this is very important. So I I'm again, I'm curious cause I'm, I'm kind of into this stuff, but I want to go back a step. I've also heard like, like negativity about XRP and Doge and, and that like, it's almost like insurance that if you buy that, then it, in case Bitcoin completely goes down, like you have XRP and, and Doge, that sort of thing. Is that because, and I'm not sure, I'm not very well educated about those, those coins, but is that because, is it integrated with banks and stuff? Is it like in mean, the whole idea of the blockchain and, and Bitcoin is that it's out of the banks and, and it's like, and there's no one entity that controls it. Is XRP and more of an entity that's controlling it? Why is there negativity about XRP or, or those type of coins? That's a great question. So originally when Bitcoin was formed as a first cryptocurrency, the whole idea was to avoid the banks, to be outside the banks, to be outside of government, to not have any control over it. And the idea was you're going to have this tremendous freedom because just the people on that network are going to control it. Well, that sounds great, but that's not something that governments are going to allow or central banks are going to allow happen. So I think what's going to happen is we're going to get regulation around cryptocurrencies. We're fully expecting that probably 99% of cryptocurrencies will, will not survive. That's something that the CEO of Ripple has said. Uh, and I concur with that. And because so government you, governments and banks are going to allow it basically because they're going to form regulations. And if companies aren't abiding by the regulations, yeah, then they won't survive. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, for example, there's a coin called Monero who does um, 
who masks the transactions, well, that's just easy for money launderers to use. And that's not what we want. We want legitimacy. We want transparency. We want law abiding cryptocurrency, right? Mm -hmm. So what the governments are going to do, I think, is they're going to create a digital uh, version of their cryptocurrency and they're going to use the XRP ledger for that. And they're going to create, they've already uh, created regulations called ISO 20022. And those companies that are compliant with that rule will survive. And they're all already communicating with each other and abiding by the rules and following the regulations. They're doing what the regulators say. Uh, there's already you know, over 200 financial institutions signed up with Ripple that are you know, ready to go and use the ledger. So all of that is falling into place nicely. But I think when we get that legislation, it may mean that Bitcoin is, you know, falls out of favor. And uh, I don't know if it will be illegal, but it it may fall out of favor, you know, for various reasons. But I believe that the one that will survive is the one that is working with the banks, that is creating digital currencies with the banks, because they have to work side by side. We're not going to go from a physical currency to an all digital currency. We're going to have paper money and we're going to have digital currency at the same time. We're going to have both. So, they have to coexist at the same time, I believe. Yeah, I was wondering about that because that's what I thought, you know, a lot of people in the crypto world are like, no, XRP, because it's the whole, you know, like we the freedom from the banks. But it, it's like you said, I mean, the likelihood of that and from banks and government is because I think that's kind of why it started, right? Is that we don't want to centralize, it's supposed to be decentralized, right? We don't want something centralized and totally in control, but that's the problem is that there's got to be some control, right? Well, it actually is decentralized. So, I mean, thank you for clarifying that because it's not actually in the control of the central bank. So okay. although they're going to create the digital currencies, it's actually going to be controlled by the participants in the ledger. So if they want to change something, you actually have people on that have XRP that have to vote to make a change. Otherwise, it's set at 100 billion XRP forever. There's never any more that are going to be created. Mm. And every time it's transferred, a little bit is used up. So it becomes more valuable, more rare. And it's not controlled by the banks. It's not going to be centralized. There's no U.S. uh, Federal Reserve being the world's reserve currency and controlling the massive dominant currency in the world. That Mm -hmm. is not going to happen with being on a decentralized ledger. So it does actually change the makeup of it and make it more in a decentralized way. Got it. It's fascinating. Um, I got to keep it short because I could talk to you for three hours and everybody else's <laughs> eyes will roll over. But so, so give, give the, the women listening some advice. So first of all, I mean, I know you, I, I, I'm not even clear. Are you an advisor actually? And you have, you know, no. your own hedge funds and things. Okay, no, I so used not- to be licensed. I had all my licenses and everything. I was a CFP. I had all of that and uh, worked in the financial world for over 25 years. And then I decided that I would retire and teach other people about wealth building and investing. So I have an online business. So it's sort of like um, being a wealth mentor, teaching people how to build wealth. 
and I give them an asset allocation model. They can follow my model. And then I'm online with them in a group and posting articles and teaching them things and sharing what's going on with the news every day and giving them updates and that kind of thing. So it's a total virtual business that I've had for a long time before COVID. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, yeah, it's 100% virtual and we do webinars once a month and interact with. Where can they find that first of all? Uh, and my website, lindapjones.com. Up at the top, we have programs and it's called the VIP experience. Okay, cool. And I don't know how much advice you can give them, but when it comes to crypto, since we we did talk a lot about that, um, I would say, obviously it's not too late, but you did just say, you know, 400% in a week, that that kind of scares people. I think like, oh, I'm, I, I probably missed the boat, but what would you say about getting into XRP or XLM or XD, any of these um these specific uh, coins? Well, we are still very early in this and these compounding rates are unbelievable. Uh, When I look at the compounding rates of the top 20 cryptocurrencies, they are four and five digits in one year. Now, any financial advisor is gonna say, oh, that's gotta be a bubble, that's crazy. But you have to understand this is a nascent Thing. This is a huge technology. This is the most worth of anything is currency. So we're creating a new currency system, a new value system for every single asset on the planet. And that's what people don't really understand, that this is going to change the way we do things. And it's changing the way we value things. And this is the internet of value. And so it's not going to be a bubble until everybody wants to own it until the taxi driver is giving me advice to buy it like happened back in 2000 or the you know the the fedex man came to my door and told me what stock to buy that's what happened in 2000 when that happens in cryptocurrency then i'll believe it's the top but right now i was investing in in cryptos (laughs) yeah i mean i did call the top of the bitcoin bubble so i could see that was happening with bitcoin i think we we hit the top wait what'd you say say go back yeah in 2017 when bitcoin went crazy there were literally people saying i don't understand what it is but i can't miss out on this and i'm getting in and da da da. i mean it was just that was classic bubble behavior Mm. this is so hated Cryptocurrency is so hated by so many people that there is no way this is the top of the bubble. Yeah, right. So we are very early in this. Okay. So it doesn't matter if it did 400% in a week, just get in if you can. I mean, you have to be careful. I wouldn't say jump all in. I mean, dollar cost average. But the, the thing is, is that it's at 39 cents today. Okay. So Doge actually started at 0.00000 value, okay? Started way below a cent. Now it's at 39 cents. Is it gonna be worth more than 39 cents? Yes, I think so. And I think it probably will be worth a lot more than 39 cents. Is that gonna happen tomorrow? Probably not. But if you wanted to put a little bit, a tiny piece, again, we're not talking about putting your whole portfolio in this. We're talking about little pieces that can help to bring up your overall compounding rate of your portfolio by taking a small piece. Now, total crypto, I'm recommending three to 5% of a portfolio, which is actually what the institutions are starting to talk about as well as three to 5%. So I'm actually in line with that. But are you invested only three to 5% yourself? I'm invested more than that, but that is because I know my risk tolerance and I know my goals and I'm very comfortable with fluctuation. 
Yeah, me so too. It, I got, I got and crypto is too. wildly volatile. It's very, very volatile. So you have you can't be the kind of person that panics when things swing. But if you have a long term perspective, especially for, you know, I'd say in two years, we're going to have a completely different picture and and it's going to be difficult to find anything selling for 39 cents in the crypto market, in the winning crypto market um, Mm -hmm. under new regulations that are highly in demand. I just don't see them being that cheap in a couple of years. So, yeah, yeah, I think, I think it's it's just going to be the question of, well, what's going to win? And that's that's where it feels like gambling sometimes, like which tokens are going to win and which are not, because then you're like, I mean, because even myself, you know, in, in January, when all of a sudden my Bitcoin was worth, I think it was like at that point, $35,000. I mean, it was major, major shift from, I don't remember exactly what it was before, but I wasn't even really paying attention because I went through 2017. Like you said, it was a roller coaster. I was scared. I was like, oh my God, maybe this is the wrong thing, but I didn't pull out. I just said, I'm just going to you know hold this to the cows come home. And then all of a sudden I'm looking at my, my, my portfolio and Jeremy going like, oh my goodness. And I was thinking, should I take some off the table? And I actually, I kind of live on the edge. I just instead started investing more, investing more, investing more and and different things like that. But it's, and it's, and it's done very well over the last four months, but it, I think that's a question everyone's mind, especially it's so confusing at first. You don't understand it. It's really, it's a different concept and moving money through the ledger. Oh my gosh. When I first did it, you know, back in the day, like it was, it's, it's really freaky. And like, if you move the wrong thing, it's gone. It's like, where, where is it? So I think you gotta, I think it's great. I think the biggest piece of advice, just like you advisors out there would say to your clients is get a mentor, get an advisor and, and, you know, to, to go to uh, Linda's website and check that out because you need to be educated. You can't just, just blindly listen. Um, but check out what she's got because I, I, as an advisor, as someone who is actually giving advice around money, and by the way, we are taught when I was an advisor as well to like, it's all about the relationship. It's not all about the returns, but the wealthier people you talk to, they care about returns. They care about protecting their money. They care about like not missing those opportunities. So you can't just have a relationship. You got to actually know how to grow money. And, you know, even as a CFP, were you a CFP yeah. professional? Yeah. I mean, you become a CFP professional, you learn all the stuff about taxes, about investing, but mm-hmm. nothing about growing money. Like it's, it's more about like how to have be ethical and all this stuff, but nothing about growing money. Like, I just can't believe it, but you gotta be, you gotta be educated about growing money if you're going to be in that role. Well, here's what people don't understand. When you really look at compounding and, and we all say, oh yeah, we understand compounding, but when you look at compounding and you look at a compounding rate of something like a Doge or something like an XRP or these cryptos that are compounding thousands of percent over a year or two, it's not long before a person's cryptocurrency portfolio, even if it's only 5%, is going to end up being bigger than their stock portfolio. Because if stocks are growing 8 to 10% a year and... <laughs> And you're getting thousands of percent in cryptos. Yeah. People's crypto portfolios are going to be bigger than their stock portfolios. And that's what people don't understand. Because those people that invested in the FANGs and the technology stocks, they're investing in crypto. And their portfolios are growing into very large portfolios. So that's what I think financial advisors really need to sort of see is that they need to be aware that their clients' cryptocurrency portfolios could end up being much larger than their stock portfolios. Yep. And I can tell you from the horse's mouth right here, mine mine is actually, you know, because I got in early and, and it's great. 
but it's, you know, like you said, I think it's, you got to start by dipping your toe in and just get educated and, and listen to a good mentor so that you make sure you make the right decisions for yourself. And you got to know your own risk tolerant tolerance, just like you would say to your kid. I mean, to your, not to your kids. I'm always thinking about my kids, um, to your clients, any last thing to add, um, just to wrap this up. Yeah. I would just say if they want to learn more about cryptocurrency, um, they can listen to my podcast, Be Wealthy and Smart. It's on iTunes. So they can go to my website, lindapjones.com and go to the podcast page. All of my podcasts are there. I've done a lot of podcasts about what is cryptocurrency. I was against cryptocurrency for a long time until I really started studying it and finding out what it really was and what was happening and finding out what the central banks were doing, what governments around the world are doing, regulations that are coming. There's a lot of evidence out there that this is here to stay. And so if people have an open mind and are willing to just take a look at what is really going on, they're going to see that just like nobody rang the bell when the Internet came into being, nobody warned us and told us it was going to change our lives. Nobody told us it was the big thing that was going to change everything and that a lot of wealth was going to be created because companies were going to build their businesses around the internet. The same thing is happening again, but this time you're early in it. You're not at the end of it like it was in 2000 when people really woke up. And for people who want to really understand and who are traditional investors, I think they can relate to the way I explain it and how uh, my own journey of saying, oh, I'm not going to look at crypto. Oh, you know, no, that's not for me. And then actually saying, well, you know, I need to have a position on what I think about it and why. So I'm going to investigate. And then when I started investigating, I was like, oh my gosh, this opportunity is unbelievable. Unlike anything we've ever seen before. And this is the one opportunity in our lifetime that I don't want to miss. So I encourage them awesome. to get educated. I love it. I love the direction that this this went. And this has just been amazing. Thank you so much, Linda. And definitely sure. check out her website. Check out her podcast for sure. I know I will. And uh, we'll see you next time on Growing Your Financial Business the Woman's Way. Bye-bye. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.